Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. I want to wish everyone a happy New Year 2020. On this week's show, I will have my marketing manager, Ankit Srinivas, discuss a recap of 2019 in technology plus predictions for 2020, so don't go away. In this week's tech news, smart home device maker Wise, W-Y-Z-E, announced that they had close to a 2.9 million customer data breach. A security researcher in Austin, Texas, named Dan Ehrlich, discovered this breach and said that emails, nicknames, online camera information, IP addresses, and Wi-Fi SSID information, as well as Alexa tokens, were all found. Um, I will be talking more about this in the Cyber Tip of the Week, but WISE was a little bit late in announcing their discovery. They said there was about a three weeks of exposure, but actually, according to the researcher, it was much longer. Following up to a story I did a little while back, the Mays ransomware gang, which is what Pensacola, Florida was hit with, is now still extorting alleged victims for more ransom. And how they're doing that is they have, they're maintaining a website of known entities that are believed to have been hit by the ransomware or that they believe have been hit by ransomware. And they're actually showing them on the website and basically saying that they need to pay the ransom in order for them not to release more data. So in the case of Pensacola, Florida, they released some minimum amount of information, basically employee information and payroll information. Um, there was another company that I won't disclose that was on there that had suddenly disappeared off the list. So it was a question about whether or not that company paid a ransom. And we'll be talking more about that later. Um, the U.S. Coast Guard also warns that the Ryuk ransomware is now hitting maritime companies. So imagine a company that handles shipping and logistics. Um, they announced that a particular company was so affected that it, their shipping schedules, their manifests, all that was locked down and they couldn't operate without paying the ransomware. In the final story for this week, I wanted to talk about how a Chinese court has sentenced a scientist behind the world's first gene-edited babies to three years in prison. And the Chinese have said that the researcher crossed the line in doing gene editing without any notion of what long-term effects it could have on the children as well as society if that DNA ever got replicated. And so this is now crossing into the new frontier of being able to modify your DNA. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, this is Keith Q, host of the Silicon Valley Insider Program, wishing everyone a happy New Year 2020. And I'm joined in studio with Ankit Srinivas, who runs marketing for Silicon Valley Insider. Welcome, Ankit. Thank you, Keith. Great to finally be here. So I think we should talk about 2019 before we jump into 2020. 2019 had a lot of predictions 
and I think we should discuss where we're at with that. So what were some of the things that interested you in 2019? Well, I was a, I mean, I was part of the blockchain technology group in 2019, uh, focusing on uh, development and backend infrastructure and uh, finding new ways that uh, the technology can actually improve or be introduced to uh, the public, right? Well, here's the interesting thing about blockchain in 2019, and uh, we've done many shows over the last few years on blockchain and cryptocurrency. So people always assume when we talk about blockchain that the underlying reason or cause was cryptocurrency started with Bitcoin, which had its 10th year anniversary early 2019. And people, I think, got jaded because they're looking for the next get rich quick and some people thought Ponzi scheme. Now, if we strip away the thought of blockchain being solely for cryptocurrency and for other people, including governments, thinking that it was used for money laundering. Looking at blockchain as a technology, which is what's always interested me, I think that's where the value lies. And so when you were discussing how you were involved in the blockchain industry for back-end infrastructure, I don't think people get that. So talk a little bit more about what back-end infrastructure is. Well, if you back up a little bit, I totally agree with you. Um, when people talk about blockchain right now, they instantly think of a cryptocurrency. And I want to reiterate that cryptocurrency is a part of blockchain, not blockchain itself. It's an aspect that came out of blockchain. Um, blockchain, I believe, is well, what everyone in the industry says, it's it's basic ledger, right? It's, it's a data secure technology. It's encrypted. You could store your data over there. And that's pretty much it. Um, when I talk about infrastructure and the back end, um, I'm talking about um, like building the technology out. Right now, it's still in the baby phase, you could say. Right. Um, the UI, UX experience is terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's super clunky. It's hard for a new developer to get onboarded onto blockchain technology. Um, there's so many things that you have to go through, putting on MetaMask if you're on Ethereum. Like, it, onboarding itself is is a process, and it takes time. And then learning about it takes time as well. Um, simplifying that just to get back-end developers to come into the technology is important because if you get more people contributing to this new technology, you get more improvements. Uh, and added to that, it's the user interface. It's terrible. <laughs> so this is a great point you're bringing up. I think back to separating out that blockchain powers cryptocurrency, but it's not only about cryptocurrency. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, uh, that aspect has it, it sucks that in today's like uh, everyone's talking about blockchain as, oh, can you make how much Bitcoin it is or right. what's Bitcoin going to go to? It's like, no, okay. It's an aspect, but in reality, the technology is much more powerful than that. Right, and I think that's where we saw in 2019, and we, we'll talk about it even further later in the show, that there was a statistic. Somebody had mentioned how blockchain is dead because, simply put, there was a lack of interest in the developer community. So they saw like there was this decrease in the amount of developers that want to get jobs on blockchain. However, um, at the same time, and I had posted this on Facebook uh, in this discussion that although developers have less interest and they, they measure that by people who do searches on jobs related to blockchain, um, corporations have increased their hiring of blockchain developers by 25%. And this is a shortage of trained blockchain developers. Uh, at the 
point we were measuring this in late 2018, uh, blockchain developers and AI developers were some of the hottest job roles in the industry. So oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, right now, enterprise sees the value in the technology, so they're now hiring developers for that. But what you're looking at and what I think is going to be a big trend in 2020 is developers want security more than uh, like exploration, right? right? So it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen in the future, but yes. And, and that's, uh, to finish that point off, is that corporations, I believe in 2020, will be hitting enterprise blockchain very hard. Because as you mentioned a few minutes ago, really when you break out, not the cryptocurrency aspect, but the technology itself, people are very interested in a trustless transaction system. I mean, the whole reason why we have the banking sector, which is the industry that I'm very familiar with, is because people inherently don't trust each other. <laughs> very true. And so you need settlement processes, and that's where banks come in, because banks are the intermediaries. And so what happened with blockchain as a technology is the financial sector felt threatened that, let's just say Bitcoin did take off as an alternative, and you rightly point out that where we're at with the early stage of blockchain as a technology, the user experience is terrible. It's very limited to the amount of people that can onboard because they're just not familiar with it. That's why we've done so many shows the last few years on understanding the potential of the technology itself. So once again, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, joined with Ankit Srinivas, our marketing lead here at Silicon Valley Insider, talking about 2019 as a wrap. And we'll be entering predictions about 2020 in the next segment. So don't go away. If you have questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz or go to our website, svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, joined with Ankit Srinivas, our marketing lead here at Silicon Valley Insider. And this week's show is all about wrapping 2019 and predictions for 2020. Ankit, welcome back. Great. Thanks for having me. So what are some predictions you have for 2020? Um, so we were talking about blockchain before, but there's another technology I think that's proven to be very useful in 2019 that I think can be grown upon in 2020, and that's AI. And not just AI in general, but AI as a service. A lot of companies in enterprise are using AI um, to augment their backend processes, help out with day-to-day -day activities. I mean, it's it's a unique technology that uh, can be very useful in like monotonous tasks, right? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think artificial intelligence or AI is definitely not going away. It's just going to accelerate um, we certainly have past guests. If I think about Bina Amanoth, who runs AI for Deloitte and has her own nonprofit, Humans for AI, which is all about retraining mid-career folks who are afraid of automation. Um, we talk about artificial intelligence, robotic process automation. Um, I think the convergence of these technologies plus machine learning and computer vision makes AI as a service very powerful. And not just AI as a service, but other as a service too. So just as a reminder, anytime you see AAS, which used to be SaaS, software as a service, and there was platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, they're now progressing in technology where everything can become a service. And it, 
reason why we talk about it is because companies, especially technology companies, spend a lot of money making technology investments, and uh, big budgets get used sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, sometimes blown. So when you think about not needing to make all the investment in technology yourself and being able to use things as a service, I think it's very tempting for most companies, especially non-technical companies, to go ahead and move forward with that. But with that brings greater risk because like anything, and I focus a lot on vendor management, supplier management, once you give control of your environment to someone or something else, then you get sloppy, you have people leave the organization, you lose tribal knowledge, and so other But that's the thing occur. with uh, AI as a service, right? A lot of people are not trying to give it full control. You're trying to, uh, they're trying to position in where it does, it's you, you set the parameters of what it wants, what it has to do, and then you know those parameters, like what to look out for. Like you're, you're already trained in those certain aspects uh, that uh, the AI will just take over subsets of. Right? Well, well, you, you are correct. That's where eventually it'll be. But we're just like in blockchain, AI, we're still in the early innings, early phases, whatever analogy you want to say. So when we talk about artificial intelligence, one thing that comes up over and over again, and usually when we do a show on artificial intelligence, we talk about it is in humans, we have confirmation bias. Yeah. In artificial intelligence, we have algorithmic biases, and the algorithmic biases are actually programmed in by humans. And so, for instance, uh, we won't mention which large corporation, but they are one of, they consider themselves one of the pioneers in large data sets of AI. And they actually do predictive job performance reviews using AI. So I could see at some point where lots of jobs that have automated tasks that you can automate, that the AI can predict performance levels. Think about like a factory worker. Yeah. So if the factory worker still uses a factory worker, not a robot, you can actually quantify how many cars they're making or if they're a customer service agent, how many calls they're answering, what the call frame is. But imagine that before you get to that point, you have to actually train the AI. You have to train them not to have biases or untrain them from the biases that naturally occur. In and that. yeah, that's what the development process is going through. It's like putting each of these like programs into like thousands and thousands of scenarios, right? It's constantly learning. You put it in a different scenario, it learns something new and it develops, it grows. It's like, it's like a baby, right? It's, it doesn't know anything at first. And then over goes through like kindergarten, goes through pre uh, like elementary, uh, middle school, high school, and then you're in college, right? It's constantly learning, and that's an important part. But what I think the most effective use for it right now is just analytics. It could just take big numbers and crunch it down, and then we comprehend that, right? It's our job to use those analytics the way we want to use it. AI is just to digest all that information, put it into readable sources. And that's what I think it's what we could do with it today and what's very necessary, especially in consumer-facing products, right? Yeah, this is where I think it's interesting because all technology goes through this life cycle and that's where people get the hype and you know they want to chase unicorns. I think that when we talk about artificial intelligence, there's a huge potential for what the technology can do, but we're going to be, you know, the analogy, we're going to break some eggs before we get there. <laughs> um, we, we've talked about where um, Uber, their autonomous vehicle, killed somebody in Arizona a couple of years ago. And what happened with that case was that, yes, 
the deceased was jaywalking, wearing dark clothing, uh, almost near nighttime, and so was crossing the street in the middle of the road. But the AI for Ubers software didn't know to predict that somebody could walk in the middle of the road and had other safety features um, disabled to better improve the driving experience. And so you learn from that. Yes, somebody somebody did, though, get harmed. And so I think that we turned it around. And uh, one of the most interesting things I just read is in Asia, they have a traffic violation AI that's getting better and better. And so I, I saw the video where it's looking at a very crowded roadway, some part of Asia. You have buses, you have cars, and the artificial intelligence plus the machine learning and computer vision can all track and sense who is driving outside the line, who's running a red light, who's doing all those things. That makes sense. I mean, if you put your uh, scenarios in an area where it's more likely, like the probability of something bizarre is going to happen is more likely, it's the best place to actually learn from, right? Asia, a very populated place, right? You put a, there's like hundreds of cars, hundreds of uh, bikes, hundreds of pedestrians going through these crossroads all every day. You put a uh, simulation over there, your AI system has a better time learning versus somewhere in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and there's only like 10 cars in the town, right? It, it's all scenario-based. It's And there's hundreds and thousands of scenarios, millions of scenarios, so we can't account for all of them, Right. And that's, I think that's what people are learning for. And I think here's a scary scenario for AI in 2020 because it's an election cycle here in the United States. Oh. Deep fakes. Deep fakes. I totally agree with that. That's that's actually going to be very scary for the next, uh, for the election. I mean, we've already seen a couple of deep fakes uh, in 2019, but it's just going to get better. Like videos uh, are just, I mean... You're going to have your original content saying something, and then people are just going to alter it to say something according to their agenda, right? Right. And this could have not just implications in the United States elections, but all over the world, right? And that's the downside of as artificial intelligence gets better and better, um, you have to get technology that will combat deep fake information, right? So this is where you can make somebody look like you or me and use our actual voice and then replicate that. And it's happening already where uh, back to um, certain countries, they're testing out artificial intelligence news anchors. Oh, man. <laughs> now, right now they're telling you that they're fake. They're t- or I shouldn't say fake. Then Right now they're telling you that they're simulated people. Okay. But at what point does anyone stop telling you the simulated people? We, we've done um, shows that talked about I think it was in 2018, the most successful uh, online persona. And she was generating millions and millions of um, of hits and revenue. When I say most successful, most successful artificial person, uh, people did not realize she was an artificial person until her artificial competitor's company behind that outed her as an artificial person. I think she was called Lil Marquela, and she uh, positioned herself as a Brazilian supermodel uh, that was kind of like, um, and I'm dating myself using a Max Headroom reference, but you can never tell if she was real or if she was artificial because the way the photos were made, they didn't know if it was a real photo that made it look artificial 
or a simulated photo made to look real. Interesting. I mean, the 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 best scenario I can think of, and this is not a full deep fake, but there are a couple companies um, that are using augmented reality, right? Um, whether you want to be an influencer or whatever, you put on this augmented reality mask and become an influencer, right? And you just transition that, if you take that augmented reality mask and put on a face of someone else. Yeah, let, let's hold it right there because I want to talk about <laughs> augmented reality in the next segment. So once again, you're listening to Keith Koo, Silicon Valley Insider with Ankit Srinivas. And we're talking about predictions for 2020. So don't go away. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svi.biz. And we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, joined with Ankit Srinivas, who runs marketing here at Silicon Valley Insider. On this week's Cyber Tip, I'm going to go deeper into the WISE exposed camera database breach that was just announced. I talked about it during tech news. So WISE, which makes smart cameras, smart home systems, they had a 2.9 million customer data breach. And how that happened was uh, they actually did everything right to set up their infrastructure, but then during some type of maintenance period, some administrator went in and changed the security settings when they were working with the database and didn't change it back to being secure. So this is an example of and you do the right things at the right time setting things up, but then you don't follow up with that and have an ongoing process of being safe. So let me explain a little bit further. In this scenario, a researcher named Dan Eric out of Austin had discovered the vulnerability and he had found very specific information. So he actually contacted an editor at Wall Street Journal and said, hey, I can see three of your cameras. And she immediately shut them down. So in doing the forensics behind this from what we can see so far, because WISE has not admitted to anything yet, it looks like that the database was a MySQL database, getting a little bit technical, and using Elasticsearch. And so in things that we talk about often, when you're using a software as a service platform, so Amazon, Elasticsearch, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, you give up a level of control to those systems. It's going to save you money. It's going to save you time. It's probably better for your resiliency, which means keeping your stuff up, especially if you're running a business. But at the same time, you can't just rely on your vendor that they know how you want it configured or what you want to do. So in this case, although they bring up a lot of vendors involved, it really wasn't their issue. It really was a configuration issue. And that's where things need to be locked down. And when you make a configuration change, you change it back. So I'm sure there'll be a lot more information on this going forward. But I just wanted to again reiterate that you control your environment, you control your vendors, and it's up to you to keep yourself secure at all times. Now, on the consumer level, also keep in mind as you're putting these smart devices all through your house, you also need to be aware of how they're connecting and how you should set up your network. Um, I always recommend that for IoT devices in your home, put them on a separate network, create a whole separate Wi-Fi, and keep it different than your personal computers. That way, if your computers get hacked, they don't necessarily get into your IoT network. And if your IoT network gets hacked, 
They won't get into your computers. And that's the cyber tip of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, Keith Q, Silicon Valley Insider with Ankit Srinivas. And we're talking about predictions in 2020. Ankit, right before the last segment ended, we started talking about augmented reality. Let's continue on with that. Yeah, I mean, augmented reality is... uh, It's... It's interesting because now you could do augmented reality on your phone and technology is improving more and more and you could there's more and more use cases for augmented reality, um, especially for businesses looking to do prototypes, looking to uh, in real estate, looking to build something out. And in real life, you could do augmented reality in a space showcasing a building, the size of the building structure, the different rooms. I mean... It's it's new. It's uh, cool. Uh, we were talking about how augmented reality will play a part in deep fakes, right? That's what's scary about it. It's it's the fact that you could augment someone's face onto your own face and then say whatever you want, right? And you know, at the end of the day, pe- people will take stuff at a surface level. It's, that's what clickbait is all about, right? You watch a video, five ten seconds of that video gets the most viewed, and then from there, people take that information and just spread it, right? Oh, he said this, he said that. In reality, it was someone else saying that. So it's 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 taking this technology and trying to make it more secure so that, that those deep fakes won't happen. How do you think that is a possibility? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting too, right? Because augmented reality was seen as kind of uh, not going very far in 2019. I think that why that is is people were focusing it on the hardware behind augmented reality, and that's because hardware costs a lot of money to develop, and if it's not what you want. So I don't want to talk about augmented reality yet on the hardware aspect of it. But when we talk about deep fakes, being able to enhance or change uh, clips of things, because now the artificial intelligence can easily do that, that's scary. And that's why I think where uh, also one thing you talked about in the last segment was that how um, there are now augmented reality avatars. So there's people who actually want to keep themselves anonymous. So they develop an avatar. So imagine like a cartoon, yeah. um, an animation of yourself. And now you're worried that that's going to be deep faked because not even your face now. And so I know that when we talk about, again, blockchain as a technology, there are companies trying to watermark your avatar or your real face using blockchain. Um, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, just announced that he aspires to move the entire Twitter platform onto blockchain. So now we've incorporated blockchain, augmented reality, and artificial intelligence all in the same paragraph. I should reiterate, when people say they're going to use blockchain, I don't think they should like make it like fully public. Like They could just say they're using the technology or they're making it more secure because that's what blockchain is essentially all about. As soon as the word blockchain is used, investors run away. <laughs> Public is like, oh, isn't that crypto uh, cryptocurrency? Why why does Twitter want to use cryptocurrency now? Right. right. So, I mean, if anyone out there is using blockchain technology, <clears throat> in all honesty, you don't need to tell people that. You could just say we're using a secure technology base to for our backend so that all the data gets secured and it's encrypted, right? It's safer at the moment, in my opinion. <laughs> no, it's it's a perfect point. And some of the companies that I advise, we've actually shifted away for the exact same reason. 
it's technology powered by blockchain. It's the yeah. platform powered by blockchain. And it's not important. The end user doesn't need to know that. No. All the end user really needs to know is that their data is secure and exactly. that they can validate that the transaction occurred. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. Um, yeah, and back to augmented reality and Twitter using blockchain. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's something that will, it'll be interesting to look forward in 2020, how everything gets incorporated. Like these new emerging technologies can be intermeshed, right? AI with augmented reality, with blockchain, all of these can be intermeshed. And it's just that one company that finds it Right and takes takes the takes the pot of gold. Um, it's also it's not just the startups that are doing this. Enterprises are doing this as well, right? They're they're all Google's already in augmented reality and AI. Um, they're experimenting with blockchain. Uh, Facebook's already doing blockchain, right? Um, everyone is like on the boat, and everyone's in 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 it already emerging technology it's going to happen it's just when it happens right and for these big companies the next thing they have to worry about is privacy and data right and that's in in relation to deep fakes and relation to the next election and everything they have to worry about how to combat all these like uh security issues uh, people copying people putting fake news people putting um taking other people's stuff and then you know, saying it's their own, right? It, how do you think they will combat this? What do you? What's your opinion on this? Well, this is good, and I think it's a good question. Here's where we're at. So in 2019, a lot of things came out about worry about the election, the Israeli election. We talked about deep fakes appearing. We talked about people being concerned that their information is being used in an incorrect manner. And I think this is what we're seeing is people in the 90s were upset that Microsoft was becoming a centralized company. They felt that they were a, a, a behemoth. And then people got concerned about Oracle in the corporate world because Oracle had all these um, platforms that major companies were using. And now we talk about uh, in the mid-2000s, social media rose up, Facebook as a platform, Twitter. And so the backlash in 2019 was these are actually also centralized communities. And why I say that is the prediction – whether it's successful or not is everyone's worried about the centralization. Uh, people think that Twitter and Facebook and Google are actually performing a form of self-censorship by saying, hey, uh, this content violates some ethical standard, some moral basis, or it's fake news. And so they just delete it. And they do that because they have the power to do that. Yeah. Now, there's a fine line between the First Amendment here in the United States where you have freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and then you have these large platforms not wanting to get sued or wanting to be the reason why something bad happened, and so they're deleting content. So is it, is it right, not right? I mean, I'm not making a judgment call on this. I'm saying that what's happening is you're now finding people, whatever platform, they're trying to find a way around it. So there are people leaving YouTube, people leaving Facebook, leaving Twitter because they feel like they're being censored, and they're trying to figure out I'll call it an alternative universe. They want to operate on their own terms. And they don't care about whether it's millions and millions of followers or 10. They just want to make sure that whoever's watching them can have trust in the information they're putting out. Right. And it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, it comes down to the person. Like, use your education, use your knowledge. And when you read an article, when you read or watch a video, like, ask yourself, is this really true? 
Um, a cool thing that's actually happening is local nonprofits mm-hmm. um, are stepping up and trying to fight this misinformation. Like uh, local nonprofit news outlets specifically. So um, PBS, uh, like these are the big uh, local news stations, but they're essentially, they've been on the air longer than all these other platforms. And they've been giving us information since day one. But um, they are standing up. They're going, tech platforms still have a long way to go uh, to solve this uh, problem. But uh, while the public is looking at Twitter, Facebook, and everything else, these nonprofits are uh, basically serving uh, as authenticators or like, this is the actual information. This is what we have. This is what we're bringing to the table. And people shouldn't just listen to Twitter, Facebook, and them. They should also tune into these local news stations. First of all, it helps the local community. Second, they're actually putting good information and they have reputable resources or uh, uh, behind them for each of these informations that they put out. So local nonprofit news outlets should probably see an uptick in 2020, I think, because they're, they're going to try to project their voice out a lot more, try to combat these news informations, um, misinformations. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I think that's where we're at is in 2020, people are becoming very wise to technology, even if they don't understand the guts behind it. Yeah. But they want to make sure that they have the right source of information, especially as we're entering an election cycle. That's really important. It's and, funny. It's like new tech, uh, new technology is being corrupted a bit. So old technology has to come in to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's a whole different topic. We can talk about Y2K while we're at it. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> so you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with Ankit Srinivas, who runs marketing here at Silicon Valley Insider. We've been talking about predictions for 2020. We'll continue to talk about predictions throughout the year. Any questions or comments, what we talked about today, email us at info at svn.biz. You can find us at... Our website, svn.biz, also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And don't go away because we'll be right back with The Pivot. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with Ankit Srinivas, who runs marketing here at Silicon Valley Insider. Today's show has all been about predictions, and now we also want to talk about the pivot. Welcome back, Ankit. Thanks for having me. So, Ankit, what's a question that you have? So, <clears throat> the past couple of years, we've been in a very much startup tech bubble. Startups have been popping up, Investors and VCs have been dumping money, but people are now scared. There's a there's a potential recession coming. Who knows when, right? Engineers are going back to, is it better to go to a corporate job, get a stable, stable lifestyle, stable salary, and no job security and have job security? Or do you still go into the entrepreneurial lifestyle, go to a startup, get those amazing perks, and uh, hopefully reach an IPO or an exit and make millions? What do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. Startup versus corporate. Yeah. Um, since I've done both. But I'm going in reverse. I started with corporates and then ended up in startups. You know, here's the thing. I think here in Silicon Valley, which leads in a lot of trends, is that we had a nice run of the unicorns and bubbles. And so you have a lot of really talented technical folks, engineers, and you have really talented people who've done other things, marketing, et cetera. 
and they get hooked on uh, there's there's something in between a startup and a corporate in that people call it a startup, but really everyone's chasing after unicorns. Unicorns are these companies that have uh, potentially one billion dollar valuations mm-hmm. on paper. Doesn't mean that really are worth a billion. It just means people are chasing that and they're chasing uh, the chance for riches. And so I think for a number of years, especially the last decade, it's been hot. People wanted to get into Airbnb. They want to get into Uber. Uh, even before that, earlier, there's Twitter, et cetera. What's happened is, especially with WeWork, oh, yeah. that this whole part of the startup circle is that people are worried that it's not going to be as lucrative and that they'll be out of a job. Also, in the case of WeWork, people are really worried, kind of like the Scarlet Letter, that having WeWork on the resume would be a reason not to hire them. So if you are in the tech space and you're trying to decide between corporate or startup, just keep in mind right now that if people are fearing a recession, corporate is a very safe place because you're going to get a 8 to 5, 9 to 5 job. You're going to get a predictable paycheck. And there are some level of benefits, especially here in the Silicon Valley. You get free food. You get free drinks, et cetera. You get so many perks. <laughs> <laughs> right. So – you you weigh the cost of that also companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, they're paying very competitive wages. Yes, they are. And so the thought of I'm going to go to a startup and get with the next rocket ship unicorn, that isn't such a question anymore because unless you really believe in that startup, you don't think that the payout will necessarily be there. And if any of these bad things happen, you're going to be worried you're going to be out of a job. Yeah, I mean, to say that, we still need startups. I mean, startups bring that innovation, the technology, and um, the cool aspect to technology, right? They they're, they don't have restrictions. They can do R&D all day as long as they have the money, right? And they come up with brilliant ideas. So we will always need startups. It's just that if you don't have the uh, risk of like the recession, like it's not going to affect you that much, sure, go for a startup. It's not a bad idea. Um, if you want that security, maybe in the next two to three years, startups is not the best place to go, right? That's what I think because it's if you're looking at VC trends right now, they're not investing as much as what they were in like 2016, 2017, right? Their investment numbers were a lot higher. Right now, VCs are getting paid out more. Mm-hmm. Uber, Lyft went IPO. Airbnb is going next year, I believe. Slack went IPO. Um, Zoom is also Zoom went IPO. I yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah. They're all hedging, and they're hedging in case there is a recession. They're putting their money in the sidelines. Exactly. You know, a trend I'm seeing that doesn't get really get discussed is they say the average age of a startup founder is over forty. Ooh. Okay. And no, I, it's true. I mean, you could say because they've gone through so much, they've looked through so much technology, they've they've ha- they have the mindset of an entrepreneur. Like, look, I've been working for the man for like twenty years now. I want to do my own thing. <laughs> and and that's, that's really also the career advice too, right? Yeah. If, if you've seen corporate life and you've saved up enough money or you feel like you could take the risk, that's happening a lot. People actually want to change the world. I think if you are early in your career, unless you have knowledge of an underserved market that you're going to do really well in, then you should really think about long and hard whether getting – corporate experience in a large corporate company is better suited for you in the beginning than jumping right into a startup. And it's, it's kind of the same thought about whether I get an MBA or I don't get an MBA. 
It's do you have enough real world experience to make an impact or difference? One, one of the biggest things I see as an issue with startups is that they're all basically doing the same thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I come across a lot of startups and when they come to me, like, how are you different than XYZ companies? Or um, another thing that they'd be aware of with startups is whether you might have a differentiated project or product, Yeah. but whether a large gorilla can take that idea and do it themselves with the resources they have. It's a conversation I used to have all the time when dealing with um, startups as a customer. It's like, I could just create this. I don't need to buy you. Right. I mean, essentially, uh, that's what's happening. People are taking already put out ideas and they're saying, oh, we'll add one small element to it and we'll serve the small niche and it'll be good. In reality, it doesn't really happen because someone else is already doing it. We were at Plug and Play a couple of weeks ago and there were like three companies that were doing the same exact things and they had no idea they were doing that with yeah. the other company. They, they had no idea about the other companies. And, and only one of them, um, which we'll talk about later, only one of them was <laughs> differentiated. And so I think that's the point. I think back to the question on today's pivot, whether you should stick with a corporate or go to a startup, it really depends on your unique situation. If you've got a killer idea that no one else is doing that you can have a good shot at producing and you know how to do that, you can get a team together, you can get funding together, absolutely go with startup. If you think you need a little more experience, especially in a um, sector filled with jobs, then you should try your chance at a large corporate to get that experience before you jump into a startup. Agreed. And if you're young, I say go to corporate. (laughs) (laughs) So... That's today's show. Thanks for being with us. Keith Koo and Ankur Srinivas from Silicon Valley Insider. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's one 888 828-7846 888-828-SVIN